Well, good morning, everyone. Isn't it good to be in God's house today together, worshiping the Lord? And uh, I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope you do. And uh, you will turn your Bible on on your phone or uh, iPad or whatever you're using today, tablet, and uh, or your Bible, physical Bible, and find with me Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. We're going to be looking at multiple passages of Scripture today, and well, some of those, many of those will be on the screen that you can follow along. And so we're continuing a message that we started last week, and so we're in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. Last week, we were looking into the Word of God about what it means to be on mission, to make followers of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the same thing. We're going to talk about these identifying marks of Christ followers, but then also transition into a uh, uh, thinking about how does this impact the values that we have as a church. And so we're going to look in Matthew chapter 28. Now, before we read the text, I do want to make just a brief announcement. Uh, we're going to be starting a new series of messages after this series on the church. And uh, that series is going to begin the Sunday after Labor Day. And so we are going to begin the wonderful, rich book of Romans together as a church. And so it's going to be fun to walk through Romans together. And this will be a multiple uh, Sundays and probably uh, uh, a good portion of the, will be all the rest, most of the rest of this year in our preaching and most of next year. And so I encourage you to follow along. Now, I have uh, uh, available today and uh, next week uh, a, a, the book, this is the book of Romans. And so it's just uh, been isolated from, uh, just lifted the whole book of Romans in this little book. And it's a paperback book and it has journaling pages so that you can write or take notes or journey, journal as we walk through Romans. And this is the translation that I'll be using, that uh, I'll be preaching from. And so they're available. They're it's called a scripture notebook. And if you'd like to use those to take notes as we walk through this great book, I encourage you to do that. And so I, we were able to get a great price on these, and I think for five, they're $5. And so we're not making anything on them. They're just paperback, but they're a great way to, tool to help you. All right? And so if you want to pick one of those up, you can. And Alicia will be selling those out in the foyer today for anybody that wants to get it. If you're not prepared, some, we'll have them available uh, the next few weeks. Okay? Amen. All right. Now, do you have your, your copy of God's Word? Let's look together. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 28, beginning with verse number 18. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you, how long? Always, to the end of what? End of the age. So, this is the Great Commission. This is what Christ has called us to do. 
to go and make disciples of all the nations, all people. And we're to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Brother Drew preached on this a few weeks ago, did an excellent job. This is what God's call and mission for us as a church is to do, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them, teach them to obey, teach them to observe, teach them to apply what I have commanded you. And when you do this, I'm with you always. I'm with you even to the very end of the age. So the call is to, call is to follow Jesus. We looked at that last week. There's a cost involved in following Jesus. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow after me, Jesus said. There are consequences in following Jesus. He transforms your life. You find real life, and you have eternal reward. So what are some of the identifying marks of Christ's followers? That brings us to our sermon for today. What are those marks that identify people who are truly following Jesus Christ? Jesus said, you make followers. So what do followers look like? How do followers act and behave? What are character qualities of a person who is following Jesus? And the very first one is obedience. Obedience in our life. If we're disobeying Christ, we're not following Christ. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verse number 46, look at the scripture with me. Well, let's read it out loud. Will you read it with me? Why do you call me and don't do the things that I say? Well, he says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Master? Why do you call me Teacher? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? Do not what? Do not do what I what? Say. You see, when you are in disobedience to Christ, you're not following Christ. Obedience means I obey his, he says, and do what I say. Do his word. Do his will. Obey him. Following Christ means I'm listening to Christ in order to obey Christ. I'm not listening to gain information. I'm listening so that I might obey him. You see, studying the scripture is so that we might hear the Lord, so that we might obey the Lord. It's not just gathering information, but it's the transformation of your life. And truth of the matter is, you are not following Jesus if you're living in willful disobedience. You are not following Jesus if you're living in willful disobedience. Many years ago, I was able to lead a young man to the Lord, and, and his wife came to know the Lord, and, 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 and we were spending time together talking through the Word and being encouraged and encouraging them in their faith. And he said, Pastor, I, I want to talk to you about something in my life. He says, I want to be a I don't understand this whole thing about stewardship. I don't understand about giving. I don't understand about tithing. I don't understand anything about it. He said, would you explain it to me? Will you help me? And so we talked about it. We walked through it. We looked at what God's word had to say to it, about it. And he said, well, that just settles it. 
And I said, what do you mean? It just settles it for me. He said, if that's what he asked me to do, then that's what I will do. And he says, we're going to have to get some things in order so that we can do this right. And he said to me some months later, he said, Pastor, there's great joy in my life. Because I wondered how in the world we were ever going to do that. And he said, we started obeying Christ in that area of our life. And God has miraculously taken care of us and our family. Listen, when you obey Christ, he'll take care of you. Amen. In every area of your life. Some years ago, I led a couple to Christ, and they were living together, and they were not married, and they knew that they should be married. They knew that it was not right. We talked about their walk with Christ. They had both prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior. They meant it. They repented of sin, and they said, what do we do? We're in this relationship. We're living together. I said, what do you think God wants you to do? They said, we should be married. I said, yes. I said, what, why would you delay? They said, we won't delay. We'll go immediately. We'll go to the courthouse, and we'll get it. And, and, and what do we do between now and then? I said, what do you think you should do? They said, maybe we should live separate until we get married. I said, probably a good idea. And they said, we're going to abstain from being together. And you know what? They did. And then they committed themselves together as husband and wife and were married and they asked God to bless their family they took steps they believed they believed that following Jesus meant I obey Jesus in my life refusal to obey is that the moment you refuse to obey Christ is the moment you stopped following Christ. And the result of that is a loss of joy in your life, a loss of meaning and purpose in your life, a loss of confidence in your faith and your prayer life, and great damage to your soul. But there is great joy in the pursuit to know Christ and follow him. The other day, a young man came um, to visit me. We were talking out in the yard. And uh, just a handsome young man, professional, the whole world in front of him. And as I was talking to him about uh, his life, it just overflowed. He said, I am in such a good place, Pastor Tim. God is working in my life. I am pursuing God in a way I've never pursued him before. I'm reading the word. I'm praying. He's speaking to me. He's speaking to my wife. We're both res we're, we're pursuing the Lord together. And God is blessing us. He said, I walked in the other day. My wife was reading a Bible, and she's reading a book by A.W. Tozer, and as he says, and, and I looked up at her, and tears were flowing down her face, and she said, God is so real in my life. This is amazing, and they were pursuing God together. Wow. They were following Christ. It's transforming your life. Let me say it again. If you're willfully disobeying Christ, 
you are not a Christ follower. And you have no confidence before him. Secondly, the characteristic of a Christ follower is that they love. People who are Christ followers love. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22, verse number 37, the Bible says, he said, love the Lord your God with all... Let's just read it together. Say it with me. He said to them, love... That's right. With all your heart, with soul, and mind. And then second is like it. What? This is what he's called us. He said we are to love. We are to love. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love him with all of that we have. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. John 13, 34, and 35 says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another, just as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, this is how that we know somebody's following Jesus Christ. Because there's love for God and love for other people in their life. The problem is when we refuse to love and when there's not love that is the outstanding characteristic of your life in your relationships, it impeaches the witness that you have. Somebody ought to say amen right there. The problem I see today in our culture is that we talk about love, but we don't actually do love. This cancel culture makes me want to throw up. If you're not just in tune with the right politics that somebody says is the right way to believe about whatever, then there you're going to get canceled. You know what canceled means? Yeah, you're just, they want to get rid of you. So if you're a TV host and you say something, then you're, they get rid of you. A sports figure, politicians, media, professorships, churches, Facebook friends. What kind of friends were they? If you're not woke enough, you're going to get canceled. The problem is, by canceling you, they say, I discredit you. You are an enemy to me. I want nothing to do with you. You have no voice. I cancel you. Well, this is true on the liberal side of things, but it's also true on a conservative side of things. And so, if you don't criticize the woke, then you're not woke to the woke, and we cancel you. And it's all based in this judgmentalism. And legalism that says, I just want to cancel you, discredit you. You have no voice. You have nothing to say. You don't, you don't matter to me. And it's, it's in the church, too. It's in, it's, it's in the media. It's in the stuff that you consume. You see it. It's different people write all kinds of stuff, and, and we put this examination on everybody about every doctrine, every idea, every political thing, and we just cancel each other, discredit each other. 
What if I just decided, what if we just decided as a church to love God and love people? And what if we just decided we love people? And somebody might be completely different than you politically, completely different ideas and opinions about you. But what if you didn't focus on that? What if you just decided to say, hey, tell me your name. Hey, how, how's your life going? How's your mom and dad doing? How are your children doing? How can I pray for you? How can I walk with you? Do you know what I'm saying? How can I care about you? How, how can I and talk with them about God and, and what Christ has done and about his grace and the hope that we have in Christ and, and about the, the beauty of God and knowing him? And, and what if I just don't care what you believe about every social issue, and what if I just care about you and not about what you think about everything? Amen? I mean, seriously. So if you come up to me and you're wearing a Cubs shirt, I'm not going to cancel you. Because I'm a card fan. You're a Cub fan. Ugh. No. But what if, what if, what if I said, I don't care. I don't care your political allegiance. But what if I just cared about you? Love you. Care for you. See, here's the scheme the Bible says we are not ignorant concerning his schemes. And these are the schemes of Satan. He wants to divide us and cause us not to love people because they're not of our kind. Isn't this the very thing that the lawyer asked Jesus? And who is my neighbor? Surely you don't mean the outcast, the Samaritans, yard dogs. And Jesus tells the story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Remember the story. They beat him and left him for dead and stole everything they had. And a certain priest walks by. And what does he do? He sees him and moves to the other side. A certain Levite walks by, sees him, and moves to the other side. And then comes along a certain what? Samaritan, yard dog, half-breed. And he sees him, and what's he do? He goes to him. He puts oil on him. He bandages him, puts him on his bone beast, takes him to an inn, talks to the innkeeper, said, will you take care of this wounded guy? And by the way, if whatever expenses you incur, put them on my tab. And then he said, which one do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer, refusing to even say his name, said, I suppose the one that showed mercy. He said, that's true. Then you go and do the same. You want to know who your neighbor is? It's those are hurting. Maybe we could look beyond the political class, and maybe we could look among, uh, away from an ethnicity, and maybe we could look away from what people believe, and maybe we could just look at the people that are hurting and go with them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These are characteristics 
of Christ followers. They love God and they love people. Number three, they serve. In, Matthew, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse number 45, would you read it with me? For even... That's exactly right. So Jesus said, even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, that's himself, came not to be what? But to what? And give his life a ransom for many. Yeah, that's what disciples do. Disciples serve. And here's part of the tragedy. Here's part of the scheme. This scheme of Satan is to distract us. We're not ignorant concerning his schemes. And the scheme is to distract us, get us sidelined from ministry. And that's what the evil one wants you to do. Quit serving the Lord. Quit serving in his church. Quit being actively involved. God has given you a mission, and this is what we do. We serve others. We come. Life's not about me being served. It's about me giving my life in service in his kingdom. Amen? Sometimes we hear of a tragic death, maybe on the mission field. You hear of a young man or a young family, and they're on the mission field, and they're persecuted. Maybe even they're killed. They're faithfully serving the Lord, and they lose their lives at a young age. And we say, oh, what a terrible tragedy. And, it, and from our point of view, it seems, feels like tragedy. But what's the greater tragedy? John Piper reminds us, he said, a greater tragedy in his understanding is the man who's 55 years old. And his life goals are now to just walk along the seashore and live in his condo and pick up seashells, play golf, quit serving God, quit serving others, retire, check out. The greatest tragedy is when you do not live a life to serve God. My mother-in-law and father-in-law retired many years ago. They faithfully enriched, poured their life from their retirement into their community, into their church, into serving in multiple ministries, going to 27 different countries on mission trips. My parents... Are 85 years old. They work in a food pantry every week, deliver meals on wheels every week, both teach Sunday school. My dad still preaches at a small church. They are out soul winning and sharing the gospel with lost people, and they are serving God at 85 years old. To God be the glory. I said, Dad, why are you still doing all this stuff? He said, well, my retirement's not here. It's there. Paul wrote to Timothy toward the end of his life, 
For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but all who loved his appearing. Amen. Fourthly, witnessing. And this is, a, this is something that we do as believers. We're sharing the gospel. In the book of, uh, in the, in the book of Matthew, and, and then we're going to look at the book of Acts together. I mean, in the book of uh, Luke. Listen to this passage of scripture in Luke's gospel. In chapter number 24. In verse number 45. In Luke's gospel, chapter 24. Listen to what the words of Jesus. He told them, These are my words that I spoke with you while I was still with you, that everything written about me from the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened our minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, This is what is written The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, listen to what the scripture says. Look at it together. But you will receive, let's say it together, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my what? Where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The church of Jesus Christ and his disciples are bearing witness to the death, burial, and resurrection, and lordship of Jesus Christ. We are preaching the gospel to all nations, to all people. You, you are a witness. You are in God's witness program, every one of you. Everybody here that's alive, would you raise your hand? Then you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ or a witness, you're called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have influence with others. You are the light of the world. You are to let your light shine in this broken world. You, you alone, you, with God working in you, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it be made salty again? It's good for nothing but to be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. You, you are the light of the world. Men don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel and hide it. No, they set it on a lampstand that all may see. Let your light so shine before men that they may see by your good works and glorify God who's in heaven. This is the, these are the characteristics of Christ's Father. Now, what are the values for us as a church? 
We're going to have to hurry. There's a lot of several of these. So what are the values for a healthy church in light of this? Number one, if we're going to be a healthy church and we're, we're vibrant followers of Christ, then what is, what is it that we value? Number one, we value abiding in Christ. In John's Gospel, chapter number 15, John's Gospel, chapter number 15, In verse number one, it says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes or lifts up. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains or abides on the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide, remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains or abides in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. You can do what? Without whom? Me. You see, you may have activities in a church, but it amounts to nothing eternally. You can have programs, you can have an attendance, you can have buildings, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing that lasts, nothing that transforms. Folks, we are in a spiritual warfare, and it is essential that we as a church abide in Jesus Christ. Now, are you abiding in him? You say, Brother Tim, what does that mean? It means you remain in him. You rest in him. You rely upon him. You trust in him. Are you trusting him? Relying in him? Abiding in him? He loves you. Christ died for you. Truth of the matter is, you have to rely on him because you can't save yourself. How many of y'all believe that you can earn or work your way into heaven? No. If you do, I want to talk to you right afterwards. You can't because you're not good enough. You can't earn your way into heaven. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that are righteous. No, not even one. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to, be, to fall on him. And it's by his stripes that we are healed. Our righteousness is not found in us, but in him. Christ, the righteous one, died for unrighteous ones so that he might bring us to God. And he has declared us righteous in Christ Jesus. You see, this is our only hope. So I rest in him for my salvation, but I also rest in him, rely upon him and trust him in my life. That means I spend time with him. And so to abide in Christ, I spend time with him, time in his word, time in prayer, time in the fellowship of the saints, time trying to understand his will for my life so that I might obey him and walk in obedience. And as I do, I'm being changed by him because I'm abiding in him. So he wants to produce fruit in my life. And so he, whenever I'm, I'm not 
bearing fruit, he comes alongside me, the Holy Spirit, and he lifts me up. He disciplines me. He strengthens me. He works in me. The whole goal is Christ, God the Father, is wanting to see the life of his Son manifest in my life through fruitfulness. That's what God wants to see in your life. And so he's at work in your life. Now, he not only lifts you, encourages you, strengthens you, comforts you. Sometimes, because he loves you, he corrects you. And he prunes, cuts some things out of your life, calls you to repent of sin, things that separate you from him. This is what sin does. Sin, Satan is a liar and a thief. And sin separates us. It brings a separation in that relationship with God. Not that he quits loving us, but there's, there's something between us because we're living in disobedience and we're living in sin. Listen, Satan is a liar and a thief, a murderer from the beginning, a liar from the beginning. And he wants to destroy your life. Listen to me. Listen to me. Some of you have given in to the lie of the evil one. And your life... You're reaping the whirlwind in your life, and you wonder why are all these things happening? Because you've stepped out in your relationship with God, and there's brokenness that's coming into your life, and God's bringing that tragedy and that brokenness and hardship because he wants to see you turn back from sin and turn back to God. That's where the life's found. It's because he loves you, and he cares about you. He prunes you. Here is the... The sad thing, sin not only separates us, sin does a separation inside our own spirit. Because when we confess one thing and then we're living a whole nother lifestyle, it causes dissonance in our life, a fracture because of this dissonance. And so what happens is we compartmentalize then. This is something we do mentally, emotionally. And so we set aside and say, well, this is my this other part of my life, and I'm going to live in sin over here about that, but then I have this other compartment of my life where I'm going to worship God and raise my hands and pretend that I'm walking with God. And that brings a fractured personality, a fractured self. And it brings destruction into your life. And a lack of confidence because you know you're not living rightly. God will not have it. We're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strengths. He wants all of you. All of you. Has it been hot at your house this summer? I just love the little flower garden behind our house. I, they give me great joy. And I, 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 I go out every day and check on the flowers. And it's just something I enjoy. It gives me pleasure. And I love the beauty of the flowers. I love the design of the flowers. I, wa- I love watching my hummingbirds coming and feeding and the bees but my flowers are thirsty every day. 
And so I'm working in the, the flowers every day, I, trying to keep them from wilting and dying. And, and so I trim back dead, trim that back dead flowers, and I add fertilizer when I should, and I water diligently because they're thirsty. And you know, I want to sometimes say, I don't want to water today, or I don't, I watered, but you know what? I got to keep up with that water, and they just dry up in just real overnight. And this is what God was saying to me. As I was carrying a bucket of water, the Lord said, Tim, just like these flowers need, you need me every day. You cannot live on yesterday's manna. You only can live on today. And every day, I want to trim out of your life. And every day, I want to fertilize in your life. And every day, I want to water and feed you and nourish you. Because, Tim, what I want to see is a beautiful flower in your life for my glory. That gave my flower work a whole new meaning. That's what God wants to do in you. Amen? Praising God. Praising God in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5. Look at it with me, if you will. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now, here's what you are. You are a living stone. You're being built into a spiritual house, and you are a holy priesthood. And this priesthood, that's who you are. You have a priesthood. Now, you don't I, most of you aren't wearing your robes today, but anyway, you're, you're a priesthood. And you are to offer sacrifices, praises to God. This is your calling. So you're to be lifting your voice, lifting your heart, lifting your worship and praise to God. This is what we do as a church. But not only that, verse number 9, look with me, chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a what? chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possessions, so that purpose clause, this is your purpose, purpose clause, now say it with me right after that, so that that you may proclaim what? His what? Praises. Praising God is, is, is when we gather together and praise and worship the Lord God Almighty. And if you can't praise God today, there's something wrong. If you say, well, I, I came to church today and I couldn't even praise God. It wasn't my style. There wasn't a choir. I couldn't praise God. There wasn't even an organ. I can't praise God. Come on. That's just baloney. The issue isn't a style. The issue is your heart. I'm telling you, there are th people are being stirred and moved by the Holy Spirit of God. Come with me. Why don't you just come with me? Let's go to Afghanistan where today there are people huddled in a small bedroom for fear of the lies, but seeking God and singing in the darkness praise to Almighty God. Come with me to China and secret house churches where people are meeting, worshiping, and praising God. 
come with me to Russia and places where God is moving so powerfully, they take out all of the pews, and there's no pews. They're standing on concrete floors, shoulder to shoulder, because there's not enough room to have furniture, because so many people want to come in the house that they spend the whole time singing and worshiping and hearing the word of God standing so more people can hear. Come with me to Bulgaria where they're singing songs that we don't know, but you sense the glory of God. Come with me to gypsy villages where I've been, where raw sewage runs through the streets and people speak languages I've never heard, and they sing some guy playing an accordion, some song that I've never heard in my life, and shaking a tambourine, but they're praising and worshiping to the glory of God. And my heart is moved with rapture because they're in the presence of Jehovah. Our praise is to be directed to the Lord. But secondly, our praise is to be before the nations. And that is witnessing, talking about Jesus and singing and telling his praises to all who will listen about God's goodness and grace for us. Amen? In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says concerning our ministry. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 18. Everything is from God who is reconciled to himself, to us through himself, to us, to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In chapter 6, in verse 2, see now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Living a life of worship means boldly and intentionally proclaiming the gospel in this broken world. See, it means belonging to a community. In Romans chapter 12, verse 4. Romans chapter 12. In verse number 4. Listen to what the scripture says. Now we have many parts in the body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same we who are many are one body and individually members of one another. According to the grace given us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, teaching. If exhorting and exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. You're part of a community. 
In verse number 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take lead in honoring one another. Folks, you are a part of the community of faith, and one of the values that we have as a church is in community. We are to be in community, connected to one another. We're to be building one another up, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, applauding one another, praising God with one another, because God has called us to be connected to one another. Now listen to me. Please listen. Your absence from the body of faith, the church of Christ, hurts you when you're not here. It not only hurts you, it hurts others. It not only hurts others, it hurts the body of Christ. And folks, if you want to become a part of Bethel, the church family here, then you want to join this church not to come and sit on a bench. You want to join this church to serve and find the place to use the gifts that God has given you in the family of God. We don't need more bench warmers, warmers because bench warmers just turn out to be critics. We need to be a family, a team that is using our gifts to the glory of God till Jesus comes again. The fourth value is we equip believers. I don't have time to drill down here, so Ephesians 4. You can look it up, but God gave these leaders in the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That means we're to build one another up. We're to move one another toward maturity and equip each other in the ministry that God has given us to, given to us. You all belong on this team. You're, every one of you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. So let's get off the bench, get trained, and go to work using the gifts God's given us. Amen. Also, another value for our church is we're going to fight for unity. In John's Gospel, chapter 17, verse number 11, listen to what Jesus said. I am no longer in the world, but they who are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me, so that they may be what? As we are what? One. Jesus prays for unity in the family of God. Disunity brings dishonor. Notice in verse number 20. I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their word. May they all be what? One, as you, Father, and me, and I am you. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world, what? You want to know what impeaches our witness? Disunity over stupid stuff. I'm sick and tired. The issue's not mask. The issue's not vax. The issue is not being jabbed. The issue's not politics. The issue's not the economy. The issue is your anger. It's, born, it's in your self-rights. And the schemes of Satan are sowing division. And we need to fight and fight hard for unity. Unity in the gospel. Unity in the spirit. Finally, this is a value of our church. We are going to live on mission, making disciples, sharing the gospel, preaching, loving, winning, persuading, 
caring, evangelizing, discipling, because it's all about Him and not about us. It's not about you. It's not about your opinions. It's about Him. Our time is done. Isn't this a good word for us today? Isn't it a good remembrance for us today? Yeah. Heavenly Father, you've spoken here today. There's so much that we've covered. Lord, I don't know how you're speaking, but you are speaking. And I pray that you have your way in our hearts and our lives. Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to continue to do business in us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen.